Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment automated investment and savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Thursday, January 18th, and we are here trying to help you make great, okay, somewhat better financial decisions. You know, it doesn't have to be great, actually. I know that this sounds silly because everyone's so hyper-focused on productivity and maximizing and this and that. And I like that too. Like I love to maximize uh, tax savings. That's like one of my favorite things. But in your life, real life takes precedence over all of this. And Mark and I understand that. So when you're thinking about, you know, should I come and join Jill and Mark? Oh, I don't think I have as much as this, or I don't have, it doesn't matter. Everyone has whatever they have. You have whatever you have. If there is something going on in your life and it touches your finances, Mark and I would love to actually talk to you. So if you've got a question, just go to jillandmoney.com, click the contact us button. Let us know if you would be willing to come on the air. Now, so much great stuff on the website. I want to point out that our next webinar is up and ready. And boy, is this, this is going to be such a popular one, Mark. I feel very good about this. So we are having Cal Newport. Cal Newport is a productivity expert. He's been on the program before. He is fantastic. And by the way, he has a new book that's coming out and he basically now has this philosophy where he says you can create great work at a sustainable pace. This is a perfect match for the way that I view your financial life, which is we think that you can create very achievable financial goals and do so not by living like a monk for your whole life and not because you have to make so much money because it can be done at a sustainable pace. If you would like to join Jill on Money Live, it will cost you $35 for the next year. And that $35 gets you four quarterly webinars and special bonus content. But you can also go into the back catalog. You can watch our 
um, last year webinar with Ed Slot. You can check out our video chat with Kathy Jones, who basically totally called the bond market perfectly um, when we had her on. You can check out our interview with Scott Rick. He's the author of Tightwads and Spendthrifts. And this is all about money and relationships. So all that stuff lives behind the paywall. It will only cost you $35. How are we doing with subscriptions, Mark? Rolling in. Fantastic. All right. Let's get to you. Steve writes, hey, Jill, love the show. Thank you. I currently let out a one-bedroom property, and I feel I should get rid of it. I really do not want it anymore. I'm going to tell you right now that no matter what the numbers are, I'm probably going to say sell it. Because when you say you really don't want it, I I trust that. I really do. Uh, Steve gets $1,500 a month in rental income. He's got a mortgage at three eighty dollars a month and additional charges, uh, services, et cetera, $350 a month. Taxes are complicated, but assume it's about 25% of the profits. So, uh, you know, he has, um, obviously what is happening is that there is uh, quite a bit of cash flow here out of the expenses, even after taxes. But here's what's going on. The mortgage is 3%. Oh my gosh. There's $140,000 that remains. So he's got $150,000 of equity. In December of this year, his mortgage deal will end and he'd have to switch to a 6% or more rate, depending on how bad uh, the Bank of England is. Oh boy. Okay. I have a half a million dollars in pension, 20,000 in crypto, 100. Haven't heard about crypto in a while, Mark. I noticed that Bitcoin's just been on a tear. It was up like 150% last year. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. That really did happen. 160000 in taxable and non-taxable accounts. I'm 40 and I reside in London. Also note that in April, I'll have about $50,000 of new cash to invest in anything. I'm also averse to property because in a prior very short marriage, 14 months. Oh, I got you beat, man. Steve, mine was 13 months. So thank you very much. Um <laughs> And anyway, in his first marriage, he lost a few hundred thousand dollars in property. I feel that with any future relationship, I'd rather not have any illiquid assets. Instead, liquid assets really to ensure the courts or a twisted partner will not know about these. (laughs) That sounds like the foundation for a healthy relationship. Oh, geez. Poor Steve, darling. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I also feel property is overrated and a hassle and it ties you down. I get it. I'm with you, man. Okay. So Steve goes on to say, I understand people say renting is a waste. However, I'm not sure I see it that way. Exactly. I'm liking the idea of just getting a dividend instead of dealing with a tenant. I guess my question should be, should I A, sell it and continue renting as I do a property for myself and then invest the cash into income related returning investments such as dividend stocks, et cetera? With the sale of the property, releasing $150,000 of equity, plus the fifty grand spare he's going to have, he's got $200,000 to dump into dividend or income-related investments. B, retain the property even though I don't want to because I'm approaching this the wrong way and selling would be a bad idea. Steve, honey, sell the property. Let's not, make, let's not mince words. First of all, anything that's a hassle should be sold. That's number one. Number two, the only thing I'm not sure about um, is when you said tax um, is complicated, 25% of the profits. I presume, um, I'm not sure if you mean the tax from the income 
or you mean the tax if you were to sell it. So whatever it is, whatever the tax is, whatever, get rid of this. And I agree with you, rent, just rent. And the only place where I'm going to quibble a tiny bit is there's no reason why you have to be putting your money in dividend producing stocks. I mean, you're young. And so I don't feel like you actually need to be producing dividends. I would just say, put this 200 grand into an account that's a diversified portfolio. And it could be just overall an index fund. It could be a international fund. It could be an index of like a, for you, maybe, you know, in your own currency. So maybe a FTSE index or a European index and a US index. And yeah, get going. And I don't necessarily think you have to go into dividend producing stocks, but I say sell baby and do not be afraid of renting. I agree with you a hundred percent. There's to me no reason why you need to feel like you must buy something. And people are very happy renters. Think about all the money you save. It's not the principal and the interest and the homeowners and the taxes, but it's also the down payment. You got that money, it's going to be working for you. It's the ongoing maintenance. You get to keep that. And you sound like you're a happy renter. So why are we fighting about this? All right. John Doe. I bet that's not his name, Mark. I'm not sure. What do you think? Doe. He says, I love your- Doe, what is that? Italian or German? What is that? (laughs) Jill and Mark, love your show. By the way, love all caps. I'm 60 years old. I plan to retire in five years. I'm able to defer a portion of my compensation and plan to defer about 20% for the next five years, then withdraw this money over the first 10 years after I retire. How should I invest the money in my deferred comp? Okay, that's interesting. So we have a five-year horizon and then 10 years after that. So it is essentially a 15-year window. It's just that we know we need the money after the first five years. So right now, the deferred comp has $280,000. It's invested in the Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund. It's doing well. No kidding. It was doing really rotten in 22, doing really well after 23. Okay. But John says, I'm worried about stock market volatility over the next five years, whether or not this is the right investment for money I'll need for the next five to 15 years. Here's some ideas. I think that some of the money is fine in, in the index fund. Maybe some of the money should be put in a five-year treasury, some in a 10-year treasury. What do you think about that, Mark? Having like actual individual investments um, or build a real bond ladder. What do you think of that? Well, yeah. I mean, since his timeline is pretty firm and he knows when he's going to be needing the money, that's not a bad idea. But the way it is right now, uh, obviously too risky. Way too risky. So we agree with you, but I want you to explore some bond ladders or some bond exchange traded funds, maybe a three-year fund, a five-year fund, a 10-year fund, and then you might be able to slot some money in there like that. Um, Okay, here's a question about Social Security. By the way, Mark, did you see that long article in the Wall Street Journal about like, hey, isn't it shocking that a lot of people live on Social Security? What planet are these people from that they don't Yeah, more like the vast majority of people. I mean, it's just, in, right? I was on the front page. On, by, oh, I canceled my print edition and I'm all digital now. I'm so sad. But anyway, it was just too much of a pain. But um, it is on the front page of the print edition as if it were like breaking news. I could not believe it, it. It actually made me laugh out loud. Like, are you kidding me? You guys actually did not understand this? You got to be kidding me. All right. Now, um, okay. Here is Dave who's on the line from Florida. Hi, Jill and Mark. Love your show. Listen to it every morning when I go for my walk. 
Excellent. My question is, when should my wife file for Social Security? I know you say almost always waiting until your full retirement age makes sense. Here is the situation. His wife is 61. He is 57. At her age, 62, 926 a month. At her full retirement age, 67, let's call it 1200 a month. At age 70, this is all for her, $1,600 a month. Okay. He, 2270 a month at 62, 3300 at 67, 4100 at 70. Here's what his game plan has been. He said, I would like to have her file at 62. Then nine years later, when he turned 67, she could switch to half of his. Hmm. Okay. So remember, his her amount at 62, 926. Her half of his 67, he's getting 3,300, is more than what she would get if she waited. So it, it does make sense. Now, she, he says, I have found conflicting information online. Some says using this method, Social Security would haircut the half of mine, another 30% since she had already filed. What is that, Mark? I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that one either. That would be news to me. I, I would I'd get on the phone with Social Security and confirm that. Oh, gosh. And we hate to tell you to do that, but you really should. Or go into a Social Security. You know what? A lot of um, There are a lot of places that have Social Security offices, and I bet in Florida they're rife with them. Um, I would double check that. Um, he says they're both healthy. Um, he works. We have solid retirement plans, $2 million. Um, interesting, by the way, Mark, you clarified this the other day. I just want to say this again, that when we talk about a spouse who's got a, you know, who's planning on claiming half of the higher wage earners in um, social security, it's only half up to the, at, at 67, you don't get more for, in other words, if I wait to claim at 70 and it's a higher amount, my non-working spouse would not get half of the amount at 70. It maxes out at the full retirement age, right, Mark? Correct. All right. So that's a good thing to remember. We're going to look into this um, about a haircut, but I do not, I don't think that's the case, but we're going to look into it also. Mark, it's amazing. There is a family of people that keeps sending us emails this is uh, another family member, Terry Anonymous. They have the same surname. Interesting, right? Um, Mark, this one's for you. Roth or traditional 401k? I love the show. I've got yet another Roth versus traditional question. I left my high stress job last year. Hooray for a money reset. You're right. Way to go, Terry. And uh, Terry says, I'm focusing on raising our family. My husband is working. His compensation is very stock heavy. We do sell the individual stock to diversify as soon as it vests twice a year. And we do live off the base income. Okay, 2024 is uh, his expected income, $580,000. They live in Virginia. They're young, 32 and 33. Here's what they got. They got $56,000 in cash. They've got $100,000 in CDs. They're earmarking that for a home renovation. They have a $745,000 house, a $335,000 mortgage at 2.875%. They have a brokerage account with $887,000. They have traditional retirement of about, let's call it just shy of a half a million, Roth 155, HSA 32,000. In 2023, they split their retirement savings 50-50 between Roth and traditional. But I'm curious as to what your advice would be going forward. 
we do not plan to stay at this level of income until retirement. We've talked about many options for the medium term, me returning to work, him scaling back in about 10 years. It's only 32. He's he's talking about scaling back. Kids have 529s, 12 grand each per year. Estate documents are completed. Term life insurance for each of us, 750 for me, 2 million for my husband. Thanks again for all you do for your audience, Terry. So they got about 600 grand in income, right? And so, uh, you know, 35%. I'm like, I'm, I'm interested in this because I wonder when they sell that stock, right? Because he's getting, if he's making 600 grand, half of it is going to be stock. He has to, he's selling it. So he's just, it's just ordinary income. There's no other, I mean, there's not a lot of tax games we want to play with this. So it's just straight up, they're in the third, let's just say highest bracket, 35%. They're doing 50-50. They're so young. They already have half a million dollars in traditional retirement. So the question is, should they keep doing half and half? Should they go all Roth? Should they go all traditional? What is your view, Mark? The 35% tax bracket would not sway me. These guys are young. He's making this much money. I know she says, oh, he's not going to keep making this money until retirement. But I suspect he's going to be making big bucks for the foreseeable future. They are going to stockpile a lot of cash. So I, I, despite the 35% tax bracket, I would do 100% Roth. I mean, I think that if 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 you're kind of hedging your bets, the way to think about it would be, Hey, let's just do Roth for now and until we know what tax rates are going to do in the future. Also, you've got some time here. So what in some respects, what I would say is doing Roth now, you say, okay, I'm locking in 35% before it goes to 42%. Because I think I think tax rates could go up. Um and, and it's not maybe not be in the next two years, but it'd be in the next few years. So I also am sticking to a Roth until further notice with these rates at these tax rates and the brackets at the current levels. That's where I would go. I love that big, What's fat, that? tasty brokerage account. Yeah, I know you do. Well, let's see what happens. That, that's it's all the very stock. Fu- yeah, of course. But but he says, but you know, I think that what's smart, they are selling at these it, these intervals. And this is incredibly important, gang, that if you are compensated with company stock, yes, you could be working for NVIDIA and you'll kill me for having sold whatever you sold, but you'll be on the ride. And even if you work for a company whose stock is going up, be disciplined. Don't you see that like every CEO puts block trades up? They have to disclose it. And they're not doing it because they think the company's going up or down. They're doing it to be disciplined. And that's what we have to do. We have to be disciplined and take our money off the table. And, you know, um, there was a, another article recently just about like rebalancing and, you know, how it, it does help to rebalance. I, I really cannot em- emphasize how rebalancing also means looking at the allocation you have to your company stock, whether it's in your retirement plan or however you receive your compensation. Any longtime listener of this program knows that I'm not a huge fan of the um, let's buy the stock at a 10% discount because for some reason you convince yourself that it's an automatic discount that that you will absolutely be a winner in that. I'm not a huge fan of that. So um, be disciplined, set this up ahead of time, make sure you're diversifying. But I, I think this could be a very good time for people to be maximizing their Roths. I think we might be surprised to see how tax rates could move in the future. Okay, that is it. That is the program. And we are delighted that you have joined us. Don't forget, all of our content lives on the website. You can 
Sign up for the free weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to Jill on Money Live. That's where you have access to quarterly live webinars, 35 bucks for a full year and lots of cool video bonus content. Don't forget to check out our new YouTube show, Jill on Money, powered by The Compound. And of course, we encourage you to subscribe to this show on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.